Welcome to January the 1st, 2023, in the year of our Lord. Doesn't that sound cool? In the year of our Lord. I like the sound of that. That's the old um, Latin AD. You know, the old way of writing dates was BC, AD. They should never have gotten rid of that. I refuse to get rid of that. If I'm ever writing dates, I'm writing BC and AD. It's way better. Anno Domini, AD, means, anno is the word year. You know, it's where we get the word annual from, like a yearly thing. Anno and Domini means Lord. It's where we get the word dominion from. So, in the year of our Lord. So, 2,023 years today that the Lord has been reigning on his throne. It's 2,023. Now, I guess technically, if you're going to count it, the Lord's reign, you probably wouldn't be counting it from his birth, technically. But I did notice at Christmas that they were singing songs like Silent Night, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. So if we count it from his birth, you could say 2023, although technically Jesus was born 4 BC, so 2027. Anyway, welcome to January the 1st, 2023, in the year of our Lord. When a king used to rule in ancient times, they would measure time from the year of his reign. So we've even got passages in the Bible like, um, you know, I'm trying to think, it was um, Isaiah 7 it might be, it would say something like, in the seventh year of King, you know, Uzziah, you know, or was it Isaiah 6, in the seventh year of King whatever, the Lord said this to me. And it's really a common thing in ancient times to measure time based on how long a certain king had been reigning for. Well, isn't it funny that the whole world is measuring our time based on the length that the Lord has been reigning. <laughs> I think that's just so cool. And here we are measuring a brand new year based off the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, people in Jewish times, they believed that when the Messiah came, he would split time into two. I think I've talked about this before. And they called those two times the former days and the latter days. And you can find places in the Bible where it says things like, in the latter days, or in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, things like that. There's heaps of verses that say things like that. Well, uninformed Christians think that must surely mean the end of the world. Well, when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, they quoted that very passage. They said, in the latter days, the spirit will be poured out in all flesh. Well. That wasn't the end of the world. That was 2,000 years ago. No, no, it was in the latter days. It was the days after the Messiah came. So when the Messiah came in the Jewish brain, he was going to split time in two. It would be all the time before the Messiah, the former days, and all the time after the Messiah, the latter days. Well, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh in the latter days. It's like really, really simple when you understand these basic ideas. So anytime you're in the Bible and you see it talk about the latter days, sometimes it might be translated the last days because, you know, a modern Bible translator who doesn't have their thinking cap on will mislead you down the garden path of thinking it's the end of the world when it's, no, the latter days. And the latter days is a big period of time. So far, it's 2,000 years. 
So a lot of room in that 2,000 years for all sorts of things to happen. And so way back at the, the early church, those were the latter days. And now we're still living in these wonderful latter days. And, um, you know, Christians, as time went on, Roman, you know, the Roman Empire was pagan, but eventually the Roman Empire became Christian. And then popes and various people had a big say on things. So they labelled the calendar BC and AD. You know, before Christ, that was the former days, and then AD, in the year of our Lord. So everything after Jesus was, was in the time of Christ's rule. And um, it's become a bit non... I don't know what you would call it. It's non-politically correct, let's say, to refer to us living in the year of our Lord these days. So they've come up with this newfangled scheme of called... Um, BCE and CE. Who's heard of this? You've heard of this? So BCE means before the common era and CE means the common era. It's because, now, if you see it written anywhere, you know what it's talking about and you can't avoid the fact that Jesus has split time in two. It cannot be avoided no matter what labels you choose to put on those two things. Um, but I did read an article by some secular humanist types who were celebrating the fact that they had managed to get this bill through some parliament somewhere to rename the calendar BCE and CE. They were celebrating they managed to get the Lordship of Christ off the calendar. Well, it doesn't matter what you call it. <laughs> you can't get the Lordship of Christ off it because he's the Lord of all. And in my brain, this is just between you and me and everyone on the internet listening, which, which is the whole world, um, it's not common era, it's Christian era. It's before the Christian era, and it's the Christian era. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus Christ, he's in the world, and he's at work, and the gospel is touching people. This is the Christian era. This is the era of Jesus Christ. And you can change it from the year of our Lord to Christian era, but it's either way, it's supremely fabulous. So we're living in the era of the Lord. Now, I'm not going into eschatology today. We've got great sermons on our website about that. The future is not getting worse and worse and worse. The future is getting better because Christ is the Lord. So that's the whole point. If he wasn't the Lord, then he'd have no control over things. And things would be, because they're out of his control, they would get worse. But no, we're living in the year of our Lord and therefore, he has a say over the things that happen. And everywhere you look in the Bible, it says as much. It says he's the king of kings. It says he's the lord of lords. It says he's the prince of peace. It says he has control over the nations. So we expect that the Lord is at work in the world for his purposes. And he is. But of course, then people are always going to say, well, why do bad things happen? Well, the Lord is so smart. He knows how to work with the choices of human beings to bring about his outcome. The Lord doesn't force anything. He doesn't control people. He doesn't make them do what he wants. But he works in his genius method to bring about his outcomes. And he thus remains the Lord through it all. And bit by bit, the nations are becoming his. Now, the nations are already his. But now the outworking of it is being seen. So we're living in the year of the Lord. And I think that's very, very cool to say on a New Year's Day 
Welcome to January 1st, 23, in the year of our Lord. Now, some of you younger ones, you might not feel like the Lord's in control. Because <laughs> maybe you just watch too much TV and you see the entire conglomeration of the world's bad events on one day gathered for your viewing pleasure in 10 brief minutes, giving you the feeling that everything is out of control. That's true. It can have that effect on you when all you do, and if people watch the news and that's all they do, they can get the feeling like this world is going to hell in a handbasket, which it isn't. The world is getting better. I read an article yesterday by Charlie Munger. Does anyone know who Charlie Munger is? Charlie Munger is his, one of Warren Buffett's best friends. Now, you might not all know who Warren Buffett is. He's the second wealthiest man in the world right now. He's made his money from investment. He started as a little tiny kid buying stocks and shares and now he's just a multi-billionaire. He understands businesses really, really well and his mate Charlie Munger is almost as good as Warren Buffett and the two of them are billionaires. And um, Charlie Munger said yesterday, he said, I don't know why people complain so much when the quality of life is 600% better than it was when I was a kid. Now this Charlie Munger, he's 92 years of age. He was a kid in the Great Depression. He said he wasn't as miserable in the Great Depression as people with lots of money are now. What's the go with that? People are way better off now than they were in the Great Depression, but why are they complaining now? They're complaining now because it's all in their brain. It's perception. They're looking at what they don't have because they're jealous, they're envious. They're comparing with others that have got more rather than looking at, looking at what they have and saying, I am so well off, I am so blessed. That's what Charlie Munger was saying. But the point that I took away from it was, wow, we're 600% better off than the, than the 1930s. The world has improved so much in the last 100 years that there's like literally nothing to complain about. I read a quote uh, somewhere recently, they were talking about Rockefeller. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world back in the, what, was it around the 1900s? Someone might know when he lived. Rockefeller had a kid, a son, who got a terrible disease. And it might have been polio, I, I can't remember what it was, but he was unable to get that son the proper medical treatment that he needed despite being one of the wealthiest human beings in the world. Today, you're nowhere near the wealthiest person in the world, but if you, got it, you get a disease, you can walk right there into that base hospital and get treated for free. Has the world improved or what? You better believe it. And it's the gospel. It's the gospel that has done this. The gospel has put ambulances on our planet. It's put free healthcare on our planet. And um, if you don't believe me, I just recommend you some good books to read. When Jesus Christ came and he said, I have come to set the oppressed free. I've come to liberate the poor. When he said all of these things, he set in chain a series of events which brought it all about. We're living in the year of our Lord. You better believe it. We sure are. If you're a younger person and you're wondering what has Jesus done, he's done everything. <laughs> we need to stick you in a time machine. That's what we need to do. Send you back to what life used to be like before Jesus had done anything. And um, the truth is, before Jesus came, he was at work doing things too. He was getting it all set up for when he was going to come. He was sending words to the prophets. 
You know, he's putting his word into the world. The scriptures were being written. He, you know, he put faith into the heart of a man called Abraham. I mean, God was up to a lot of stuff before Jesus came. But from the time Jesus came, what we've got is the rule of Christ in the earth. You might call it the kingdom of God. Some people think the kingdom of God isn't going to happen until, you know, we all get to heaven one day. Well, no, that's the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God. But we actually have the kingdom of God with us now. You don't have a king kingdom without a king. We have a king and we have a kingdom. And one day it's going to be the ultimate fulfillment of all those things. But we're living in that wonderful kingdom now. So if you're a young person and you're wondering, you know, where's the Lordship of Jesus? It's all around you. The world you're living in is wonderful in so many ways. You might be saying, what has he done? No, what hasn't he done? Life may seem very normal to you, but there are billions of human beings in the past who would have skipped, switched places with you in a heartbeat. The world you live in is supremely blessed. Well, here's a question for you. How about we let the devil be in charge again? Would you like that? No one wants that. What would, what would happen if we suddenly took Jesus out of being in charge and put Satan back on the throne of the earth? What do you think had happened to this planet? Do you think the world would continue to improve and get better? No. I'll tell you what would happen. All the weird conspiracy theories that are on Facebook right now would all instantly start to happen. You know, there's always a little bit of truth to them, but the good news way overshadows them all. But if the devil was in control, all the doom and gloom scenarios that everyone's predicting would start to kick in. Because those are the things the devil actually wants to happen. He wants to sow lies and beliefs and things like that. He wants people to believe in them, because when you believe in them, that it has power to bring them about. Um, what I want to do this morning is I want to take you to Matthew chapter 4, and I, I want to think about this whole entire chapter from the perspective of Jesus is the Lord of heaven. Jesus is the Lord of earth. We're living in the kingdom of God now. And this whole entire chapter, the gospels are really worth reading from this perspective of Jesus is the Lord. And sometimes we don't really read them with that full kind of picture. But this morning I want to read to you the whole of Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read it in four sections and I'm going to make a, co a few comments on each section as we go so we're going to start with Matthew chapter 4, which is the temptation of Jesus Christ. So, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they gave the legal ownership of this earth to the devil. If the devil didn't own the earth, it wouldn't have been a very tempting thing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would have just said something like, don't be an idiot, it's mine already. But Jesus didn't say that to the devil. He said, away from me. He said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The Lord was the devil's God. (laughs) The devil did not want to worship his God. The devil wanted to worship himself. But he was tempting the Lord. It wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't a real temptation. He was tempting the Lord with the very thing that the Lord came to get. The Lord came to get the nations back under his control. So he was the Lord in one way, because he was the devil's God, and he was your God and he was my God, but he had not yet become the Lord of the nations. He had come to get them back. We read just a quick verse to kind of give emphasis to that thought. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, this is the Apostle John. He was writing a letter to Christians, you know, about 50 years later. And this is what he said. He said, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, but the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil was at work in the world. He had the nations captive. He had the peoples captive. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. When Jesus went to the cross, we often think that he just went to the cross for you and me. We think of it as like atonement for my sins and for your sins. We think of it at this kind of like one level. But when Jesus went to the cross, he was doing a lot of things. He wasn't just atoning for your sin, as wonderful as that is. He's redeeming the entire world back to himself. He was destroying the work of the devil. He, um, he said, it says in uh, Colossians, it says, when he went to the cross, he led the evil one in triumph. He was humiliating the devil. He, he was destroying and, and publicly disgracing the devil. We don't get a sense of it. When, um, when, Roman, Empire, when Roman armies would, would attack an enemy... They had this thing called a triumph. I've talked about this in some of my Bible videos. And um, a triumph was given to a successful Roman army under certain circumstances. One of the circumstances was you had to have killed at least 5,000 of the enemy in battle. There are various circumstances. And Roman emperors were always wanting to have a triumph. And Roman generals that weren't emperor always wanted to have a triumph because it was like when the emperor died, it was their best chance of becoming the emperor because they'd done this magnificent thing. When, um, when, Roman armies, when the Roman army conquered Jerusalem in AD 70, they managed to get a hold of one of the Jewish leaders, I think it was John or Simon. There were a couple of Jewish leaders in the city leading the revolt. They managed to get their hands on one of them without him dying. A lot of enemy leaders that would fight Rome would kill themselves before the end of the battle because they did not want the Romans to get their hands on them if they were losing because this is what they would do to you. The Romans would keep you alive until the triumph. The triumph was going to happen in Rome. The triumph would be this grand procession that would last for days. 
the enemies that were captured would be naked in triumph. They would be marched through the entire city of Rome like a ticker tape parade. The whole of Rome would be out cheering and celebrating while you, the captives, are marched naked in chains up to the temple of the god, which I'm not going to name because I don't want to name ancient gods. There you would be sacrificed in public to that god in, in the ultimate display of humiliation. Well, that was a Roman triumph. You know what it says in Colossians? <laughs> it says that Jesus led Satan in triumph at the cross. Well, you know, every ancient Roman citizen or every Roman reading that had a revelation. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. We're living in the year of our Lord. Now, some people question how, how real that could be. Because, you know, isn't the devil still around and aren't bad things still happening? Before Jesus went to the cross, it was impossible for any nation to change. The word of God came to the Israelites, the Jewish people, God's own people, over and over and over. Follow me. Love the Lord your God. Turn away from idols. It did not matter what God said to people. They were powerless to follow him. Every now and then you'd get a, a bright spark, an individual like King David or Moses or Isaiah the prophet. You'd get some individual that broke free of that and they were able to follow the Lord. They had the Holy Spirit at work in their life. They were able to see clearly a bit. But people, nations could not follow. They were bound. The nations were bound in darkness. But when Jesus went to the cross... <laughs> He became the Lord of the nations. And from the time that Christ rose, you know what he said? He said to his disciples, he said, after he rose from the dead, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and preach the gospel. He never said that before because he didn't have all authority on heaven and earth before. But for the first time, he said, go. And you know what? They went. And wherever they went, people heard it. Before they heard it, but they didn't hear it. But now they heard it. Now the devil was no longer binding the truth in their minds. Now the gospel began to have an effect on people. Now the kingdom of God began to grow. Now the world began to change. And look, you're living in a fabulous world in comparison to the world that, we, that was back then. Of course, the world's still got more changing to do. <laughs> it's not... The process isn't finished. And that's why Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, Behold, I am making all things new. Making being one of those, what they call a present participle. It's kind of a word that means it's a process. It's something that's happening and is continuing to happen. He didn't say, I've made all things new, because, you know, that would be, it's done. And it wouldn't make sense if it was in heaven either in the future, because some people say, oh, no, that's only in heaven. Well, why would he be making them new in heaven? No, wouldn't it be already done in heaven? No, it's now. It's the process of making all things new. This is what we call the gospel at work in the world. Thank God. So let's read the second section of Matthew chapter 4. So this would be verses 12 to 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
to fulfill what was written through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We talked about that passage in Christmas just a few weeks ago. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is the northern tribes of Israel, was so dark. In fact, the Assyrians came and destroyed it. That was a prophecy in, I think it was Isaiah chapter, oh, was it six or seven, seven or eight, somewhere there. But then after the prophecy of how dark it was, the very next chapter said, you know, that a great light was going to come in that very area which was so dark, and that was Jesus being born into that part of the world. So it's quoting here, saying that a light has come. Well, who's the light? Jesus Christ, the words of Christ. And then from that time on, Jesus begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. What's the kingdom of God? It's this moment when the lordship of earth is about to burst into the world and Jesus is about to be the Lord. Well, the kingdom of God really was near. Some people think Jesus had a ministry of three years. There's a debate about this, about was Jesus ministering for three years, two years, or one year? <laughs> I know these are all academic things that probably don't matter a great deal. I've, I think I'm leaning on the two years side of things because there are three Passovers in the Bible. And in the book of John, I think there are three Passovers. Well, to have three Passovers, you've got two years. Jesus seems to have begun his ministry at around about a Passover, and he died at a Passover. So there's your three Passovers with the two years in between. So I'm kind of leaning at two years. Now, the whole point of that is to say that when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, we're talking two years to his death, or maybe three two years to his resurrection and I mark in my brain the Lordship of Christ beginning from the resurrection of Jesus Christ you know what Jesus when he ascended what did he do he went to his throne to sit on the right side of the Heavenly Father that's the beginning of his Lordship that's the kingdom of heaven beginning right there in my mind so there you go Jesus was preaching so in the first part of Matthew the devil's trying to tempt him with the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus is saying, don't tempt me. I'm the Lord. The second part of Matthew, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. <laughs> Just a few years away. <laughs> but repent. Start getting ready, all of you. Let's read the third section. Matthew chapter eight, 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus starts calling followers to be a part of his kingdom. That was then, and this is you now. The kingdom of God has a king, and it has subjects. And Jesus immediately began calling subjects for his kingdom. And now, he's still calling subjects for his kingdom. It's you. 
Kids, Jesus is calling you to be a part of his kingdom. This isn't just a thing where he called just 12 people, the 12 disciples all those years ago. No, they were the first people that he called, but he keeps on doing that and he has not stopped calling people to follow him. He's not stopped calling people to be fishers of men. He was the king, he was the Lord back then, and he started calling people and he's still doing it now. So I want everyone to be clear on that point, but especially kids. You're being called to be a part of the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming, listen to this, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. <laughs> That's so cool. And he, healing every disease and sickness among all the people. News about him spread all over Syria. The people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So he began preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's amazing. Right back then, the kingdom of God was starting. Yeah, it won't reach its ultimate fulfillment until one day, when, when all things have been put under his feet. But we're in this wonderful time where all things are being put under his feet. We're in that process. This is the message of the kingdom. So when you look out your window in the morning at 5.30 and the council truck is picking up your wheelie bin and you're tempted to be a bit grumpy because you've got, your sleep was interrupted by 10 seconds of noise, thank God that the kingdom of God has brought you rubbish disposal. Isn't that an amazing thing? They take your rubbish away. What a blessing. You know, in the old days, they used to just throw the rubbish out the front door. People used to get sick, cholera, typhus, all sorts of stuff. Cities used to build up like this from the rubbish disposal. So archaeologists see a mound, a mysterious mound in the middle of nowhere, and they say, huh, I bet you that's an ancient city. Yeah, good chance it is. Start digging and you'll find stuff. We have those modern mounds too, but they, all our stuff's taken away and put down there on Lakes Creek. If you look down there, there are mounds. It's the rubbish building up. But the kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord has given us these wonderful things like rubbish disposal, healthcare, free education. Kids learn to read and write. Um, things like democracy. You think like we're not, you know, every time some dictator dies, there's not some bloodthirsty coup and a civil war, you know, until there's a new dictator who's strong enough to put everyone in his place until everyone's this peace by, you know, basically by the sword. Now, what a wonderful world we're living in. You know, there's peace, there's law and order. People are, for the most part, kind to each other. If your boss gets cranky with you at work, he can't even sack you on the spot. He's got to give you three written warnings and they've got to be for genuine excuses. And if he doesn't, you can take him to fair work and get paid for it. I mean, this is the, the world we're living in. It's nothing like ancient times. An ancient boss didn't like his slave. Well, 
Done. Oh well, got rid of that problem. No, we're living in the year of our Lord. And yeah, there are problems. But you're going to be a part of the ongoing improvement of all things because we're now going to read one more chapter. I know I'm going to try to conclude with this. This comes from Revelation chapter 5. Now you thought Revelation was all about the end of the world and some bits of it are, but this chapter 5 is definitely not about the end of the world. Read this. Think of this chapter 5 of Revelation as about what Jesus did at the cross. Think of it completely about that from, about, from that point of view. Revelation 5, let's read the entire thing. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. In a nutshell, the world had terrible problems. No one could solve the problems. But ha, huh, we found someone who can solve our problems. Jesus. Then I saw a lamb, that's Jesus, looking as if it had been slain, that's when he went to the cross, standing at the centre of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. So all of this is about what Jesus has done at the cross. He's the only one worthy to open this scroll. And they, this is the song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The devil had them before. No, no, Jesus purchased them with his blood. I told you the atonement was more than just you getting your sins forgiven. No, Jesus went to the cross. He purchased them. Every tribe, every nation, every language. Verse 10, and they're still singing the song, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. We're going to come back to that. We'll just quickly finish reading the chapter. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is just fabulous. This amazing worship that went on because of what Christ did at Calvary. But go back to verse 10. These people that were purchased... The song said, you have made them to be a kingdom. Remember I said the kingdom already started. You've been called to be his followers. You've been called to be in the kingdom. 
You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Well, that's what we're doing right now. If, if this was some future heaven scenario, it wouldn't make sense if all the good people came back and we all got plonked on the earth and we got told, you're all going to be reigning over the earth. What would we all, we all be reigning over? We'd be, what, yeah, what would we be reigning over ourselves? We're all the people who are God's people. No, we're reigning now because we're in the process of helping the Lord make all things new. We're reigning now. So, children, when you play with the kid next door and he doesn't know the Lord yet or she doesn't know the Lord yet, how you will reign with the Lord is by praying for their soul. And when you pray for their soul, you help light to go into their soul. That is the kingdom of God at work, ruling and reigning with Christ now. When you go to work and you're dealing with a belligerent boss and you don't respond with anger or attitude, but you respond with kindness of heart and you recognise that he or she are struggling with you know, evil thoughts or demonic thoughts. They're struggling with the schemes of Satan, but you respond in the opposite spirit and you demonstrate the love of Christ. That is being a priest. That is offering the priestly service of Jesus Christ to that person. That is ruling with Christ on the earth now. <laughs> That's, this is what Jesus did. Jesus came into the earth and he ruled and reigned. And I tell you what, there's no other king on earth that shares his throne but the Lord. And his kingdom, he shares his throne with you. And you're on the earth and you're called to rule and reign with Christ. And you will do that with your prayers. You will do that with your love. You'll do that with your wonderfully good attitude. And if you're struggling, <laughs> ask the Lord to help you. And he's given you the Holy Spirit who will help you. It's the most amazing setup of all. So, welcome to January the 1st, 2023, in the year of our Lord. <laughs> and this year, it's going to be a good year because He's the Lord and we're His servants. We've been called to be priests, we've been called to rule and reign with Him. And by golly, we're going to do the best job we can. <laughs> And if we don't do a very good job, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us, right? There's things the Lord wants to do this year here at Peace, here in the city of Rockhampton, and our love towards him for all he's done for us is to say, we're going to do our best for him. Get rid of all bad attitudes out of your heart. Get rid of self-serving thinking. Get rid of that attitude that says, oh, I deserve better if you're going through a struggle. No, throw that off. Say, no, I'm here to serve, just like the Lord came to serve. It's not about me, it's about him. We're going to rule and reign with Christ in 23 and 24 and in all the years ahead that we have been given. All right, I'm going to pray now, invite the band to come. But this prayer, it's a prayer of surrender. And I'm going to commit this year to the Lord and declare it's his year. He's the Lord of this year. He's the Lord of our hearts. 
What I want is your heart to be in complete agreement with me as I pray this prayer. He's your Lord as well. And if you're struggling with that thought that he's your Lord, well, you need to bend the knee of your heart right now. In fact, you may even want to, right where you're sitting, actually kneel. If that's a point of contention for you, like if you're struggling with the idea that he's your Lord, I suggest you hop on your knees for this prayer as a way of saying, Lord, I want you to be my Lord as well. So our prayer right now, it's going to be me pray, but it's going to be you agreeing, but it's really a prayer that's saying, you're our Lord, we're here for you. Now, Lord, help us this year to, to rule and reign with Christ. We want to see his kingdom come and his will be done in 2023. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you are the ruler of the nations. I thank you you purchased people with your blood from every tribe and nation and language, including us, including Australians, including people from the city of Rockhampton. Lord, I thank you that it's all yours. It all belongs to you and you are the Lord. And this morning we dedicate ourselves to you afresh. Lord, there has been times we've become our own lords. There's been times we've done things our own way and we've worshipped ourselves and become our own gods and we've thought it was all about us. Lord, we're sorry. I ask you to forgive us. And now help us by the Holy Spirit to serve you. Help us to rule and reign with Christ. And Father, my prayer would be that this year ahead is a year that has your blessing. It has your favour that each one of us might be people who bend the knee. And like Dennis said in communion, Lord, that we're here to be a part of what you're doing. And so give us the grace to serve you together. And Lord, I pray that the things that are in your mind and your heart would come to pass this year in peace and in Rockhampton and in the nation of Australia and in each and every one of our lives. So Lord, I declare these things in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I'd pray also a prayer of blessing this morning. Lord, bless everyone that your favour be upon us. Lord, you came to preach the good news of the kingdom and we would declare this morning the good news of the kingdom over everyone here and over the city of Rockhampton. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in the name of Jesus. Amen.